this is Dr. Carl Wilson with Covenant Behavior Health, located here in San Bernardino, California. Today is, is October the 4th, 2019, and I have a very special guest with us. Shanae is one of our training interns, a student at Loma Linda University. But before we get to her, I want to take this time and personally invite everyone, uh, not just mental health professionals, uh, medical professional nurses and doctors, but I want to invite the community to come and be a part of our Faith and Mental Health Conference, which is going to be held at the Family Worship Center in Colton, California. Our keynote speaker is Dr. Donna Scott, the author of The Demonization of Mental Illness. This conference is designed to be a collection of powerful presentations with a common focus of helping pastors, faith leaders, counselors, and other mental health providers address mental health within their community. These sessions will include uh, seven hours of continuing education credits for LMFTs, LCSW, LPCCs, and LEPs as required by the California Board of Behavior Sciences. Continuing education credits also are available in Missouri and Iowa. Now, uh, some of those sessions that we are going to have uh, presented at this conference include uh, the impact of spirituality on mental health, a crisis of faith, intolerable distress of the soul and its mental health implications. I'm saved, so why am I depressed? Mental health disorders, the result of sin, people in the Bible with mental health disorders, pastoral limitations and mental health counseling are just some of the uh, topics that are going to be included. So let's get started here with our special guest. Again, that's going to be November the 1st and 2nd. 2019 registration starts at 8:30. This conference is free and being underwritten by Cummings Graduate Institute and Covenant Behavior Health. Today I want to welcome Shanae. Shanae, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? So my name's Shanae. Um I grew up in Wisconsin actually. Uh lived in Kentucky after I got my bachelor's. And then decided I wanted to get a master's and came to Loma Linda. Um, so I moved to California. I've been here for a little bit more than a year. A little bit more. So you have a bachelor's in what exactly? Psychology. Psychology. Mm -hmm. And after that, uh, getting a bachelor's degree in psychology, what made you go, okay, next thing is a master's degree? Well, I actually remember in undergrad, like talking to my advisor, not wanting to become a therapist at all. Um, I didn't think I had the patience for it. Um, and then I was always really um, interested in abnormal psychology. Um, I did between taking a couple years off after I graduated with my bachelor's. Um, I did work for a mental health hospital um, as a mental health uh, associate in tech. Um, then I did get a lot of exposure with um, individuals with schizophrenia, uh, um, bipolar, um, some like paranoid delusion, null oh, wow. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was, I worked there a couple of years and then I kind of decided that's not for me. Okay. Serious mental illness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That I, I think working with the serious mental illness population is very, very demanding. And, you know, I really don't, I don't imagine people just waking up one day and going, you know, I'm going to be a therapist. 
it's hard work. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I I love how you segued into this. One of my first questions is, so what's some of the myths about being, I mean, have you, have you experienced or do you think uh, about being a therapist? What's some of the myths about that? Um, A common myth about being a therapist. That you have it all together. Um, I'm a very, one, another thing is another myth is that you have to be like this outgoing, confident person. And I wouldn't say I'm not confident, but I'm very, I'm very shy. Um, but I don't know, something about being in the room with a client, it kind of changes and I'm able to ask the questions I want to ask. I don't overthink things and hold myself back. Um, so it's different. I don't know why. But. Yeah. Yes. So, well, I, th- I think that you touched on something that's very important that resonated with me was that people think that being a therapist, like you have it all together and you have mm-hmm. all the solutions, you know, you have all the answers to their mm-hmm. problem. I think patients even come to us like, tell me what to do, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I think that uh, one of the the issues with that is that we are humans, just like they are. A lot of us come to this field actually with our own problems. Mm -hmm. And I think that how we sort of end up in the field of counseling, of psychology, is we're trying to figure out stuff. We're trying to get answers to things. And along that way, like I said, no one wakes up one day and just just goes, today I'm going to be a therapist. I think through a series of events. You know, we sort of come to that and we find like this path is what we do. And, and it's like, like you said, you, you were thinking you would never be a therapist. Yeah, you were sure. This never was in a million years did I think that. <laughs> something you definitely would not do. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what advice would you give someone wanting to enter into the field of psychology, the field of counseling therapy? Well, kind of with the the whole myth thing, like knowing that if you are struggling with something, it's okay. Um, so some of the therapy I do is cognitive behavioral therapy. And with my clients, I look at cognitive distortions. And some of them are a little taken back by, oh my goodness, I do all of these. And I'm like, that's okay. I still do some of these too. And I'm still learning how to challenge these thoughts. So um, knowing that, it's okay if you don't have like it all figured out. Um, yeah, I, I think that when we enter into the therapeutic relationship, um, I myself, I see it as sort of a dance, a waltz. Like I'm, I'm working just as hard as you are in this process and I'm learning how to take those steps with you so that we're on the same path. And it's okay, like, I think therapy changes us. Like the more we help, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The more we help, it gives back to us. It's such a an intangible gift when you see people' eyes light up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I get such a privilege of like clients who are of a different culture than me, um, just sharing to me about like the history of their culture or just how their family um, interactions are different and um, how they see the world, their perspectives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So are there any resources that you can identify that sort of really help you along this journey? Like, what are those? I have a cough. (laughs) (coughs) Sorry, I'm sick. Um, I'm sorry, what was your question again? So what are some of the resources that have really helped you with your journey to this profession? Um, for me, I talked to my pastor a little bit. 
Um, I, I guess for me, what directed me towards therapy is I realized what I wish I kind of had growing up, like in my church. Um, so just talking to role models, talking to my supervisor at, um, like the the psychiatric hospital I used to work for, Mm -hmm. um, just, it's so overwhelming, like in all the different, do I want to be a licensed professional counselor or, uh, MFT, um, and what I thought MFTs were was that they always worked with couples and that's actually not true. I see a lot of individuals. So it, although it's overwhelming, um, I don't know. You just have to talk to as many people as you can to get opinions, um, reach out to like program directors, email them and see if you, uh, with questions you have. Good, good. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like that. Uh, maybe there's a program that you're interested in mm-hmm. and reaching out to that particular uh, program director and emailing them and asking them questions. Uh, one of the things that we do here at Covenant Behavior Help is when students come in, they get an interview and I sort of go through like what we do, who we are um, and what our expectations are, because we predominantly treat a military culture uh, where 85% of our patient population are military active duty veterans and their dependents. And 90% of our staff is actually um, military affiliated. They're either dependents or veterans themselves. And so we deal with a very, um, a very interesting uh, population here that demands a lot. And so I always ask students, like, if you're interested in coming here, make sure I want to invite you to come back. So sort of sit in on a couple of sessions, sit in with uh, one of our staffings and get a chance to sort of interview and talk to other members that are part of our team. So you can see if this is something really for you, because clearly, um, much like every other profession, not everybody is cut out to be a therapist. Not everybody's cut out to provide counseling. Yeah. And I actually wanted to mention one more um, resource, I guess. I, I used to look at a lot of YouTube uh, videos on what their experiences were was through like a specific program um what it was like to being a therapist like there's videos on youtube um what their experience and what they like about it what they don't like about it Mm. so okay yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely well thank you for sharing i appreciate that um follow up to that question would be uh, what do you wish you would have known before you made this leap? Um, I guess like in the first days of class that it, it's, yeah, you do have, I think there's certain personality traits that like therapists do have in common, but um, like you can learn um, and you know, there's professors there to guide you and things that you can do better. So. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I, I, I do. I, I think there are some certain traits that we do have and as in this field in general, but you don't have to have those. Yeah. That goes to one of the biggest things that I see a lot. Uh, and I think I don't, I, and it's probably common in all practices of therapy is people come in and they really want people who've been in their shoes to talk to. They really want people who've been through their experiences to help them. And one of the things I try to debunk is that, you know, when you're talking to a master level clinician, 
they don't have to have been where you are in order to be able to help you. They have a master's degree in behavior science. They can help you change behavior. So, for example, I don't have to be an alcoholic to help you change behavior when it comes to alcohol abuse. I'm a, I am an expert in changing behaviors. I have a master's degree. So when it comes to, uh, for example, unconditional positive regard, you know, we say that people really have to be able to have that empathetic uh, personality trait and really mm-hmm. be able to connect with people in order to help them. Again, I, while that is good, I think while that is very uh nice to have you don't always have that Uh, but you can be taught those skills yeah because you're absolutely you're going to be coming in with your biases and assumptions um and there's a thing called the self of a therapist that it's yes we've all kind of have different experiences but we can connect on the level of that we've all experienced hurt and um you know, I have clients, I think my youngest one is 18, all the way up to like 70, I want to say. And I definitely don't know what it's like to be a male, uh, a different race. Um, but I can connect with them in the way that like, I know what it's like to be hurt. And um, I can see that they're also going through things. They have pain. Absolutely. I just... I just got an article that was sent to me and I was asked to review the article. It was um, why black people or particularly why black men don't trust white therapists. Mm, And it was a very interesting article. Mm -hmm. It sort of dealt with how um, there's been this power struggle of racism that has been prevalent throughout our entire country history, our entire history of our country. And so it's difficult for black men who need therapy much like everybody else who needs therapy Mm -hmm. to really trust in white providers and of course you know i think 80 percent of our providers licensed providers at the master's level higher 80 percent of them are (laughs) are white males (laughs) yeah and with research too um like the populations that get researched there Mm -hmm. usually uh white males or like heterosexual like they're they're not in the minority at all yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely but i I, so i responded this is an educated woman who sent me the um article and asked me to give a professional opinion uh her pastor actually referred her to us uh to check this out because she's been doing some research on therapy and so my response to her was absolutely uh while that is a common you know, uh, theme. Uh, I have people to come. They want African American males who are Christian, who are married. Like they have these specific details yeah. for who can really help them. And again, I go right back to our military population, where they like we. I know as me being a prior service uh, member myself, I served in the army. Um, our culture, we we we're very closed off. We don't trust people a whole lot, and we. T- we particularly only want people who've been in our shoes to help us. And I fight so hard against that because I'm telling you, they don't have to have been in war. They don't have to have been through the struggles that they don't have to. They're not meant to see the things that we see and that we experience. But that does not mean they can't help us. Like these are behavior experts and they can help us. And so going back to the article, I really think that um, 
you know, um, while we don't have as many African-American male therapists as we need, that does not mm-hmm. mean you can't go to a white therapist and get help. <laughs> so if you Are need you help, Mexican? get help. <laughs> I'm Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you need help, my point here is go get help if you need help. Don't let that stop you. Yeah. So um, l- let me ask you this. So uh, you talked a little bit about your experience as a, a bachelor uh, psychology uh, major and working within the early uh, stages of your career and serious with the serious mentally ill. What do you think led you to this profession? Like what led you to this? I think it was looking at um, because I want to take so I'm a marriage family therapy student and I want to eventually work in ministry um, work with churches, maybe like develop ways, programs to better educate people on how to be communicate in more efficient ways and be help, uh, healthier families. Um, so it was really looking at like, I grew up in church and like what, what I wish like I had and um, what I wish my church would have talked more about, like mm, sex, tell me, tell and me a little drugs, bit about so, alcohol. <laughs> tell me a little bit about your faith. So, like, where do you go to church at? Like, what do you believe? Share it with me a little bit. So, I'm a Seventh Day Adventist. Um, so that that was the main reason why I'm all the way out here in California because I did love Kentucky, um, and this was the only SEA school. Um, that's the short acronym for SDA or Seventh-day Adventist. Um, so this was the only SDA university with the MFT program, the Marriage and Family Therapy okay. program. So that's why I moved all the way out here in you California. You got it. You got it. Um, so so when, you, when you decided that, one of my questions, my question was, what led you to this profession? So what, what happened to make you go, okay, this is what you want to do. And you were talking about how that uh, you wish that there was somebody who uh, would, mm, let me stop. Maybe like guide me, me as more like as a kid, um, like growing up as a teenager. Um, also like getting advice from a pastor. Well, Yes, they're trying to be helpful, but they're not at the level as of a therapist or a counselor. Most pastors in seminary who or who complete Bible school, I just recently wrote an article called uh, "A Healing Sanctuary: Moving from uh, Judgment to Care." And in the article, mm-hmm. I really talk about how um, pastors don't have, you know, master's degrees. They're not trained yeah. to be counselors. They're they can do pastoral counseling stuff when it comes to spiritual guidance right. that they're experts in. But when it comes to mental health stuff, like they're not, they don't get that training. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why we're having this faith and mental health conference is to try to bridge those two professions together to tap into those um, those areas and help each other and mm-hmm. help uh, the community that we serve at large. So I agree, yeah. most pastors don't have that expertise to really right. try to help you in those areas. Yeah. So so let let me go back again because I I want to I want you said some more things that I want to uh, just sort of follow up some questions with. Um, for you you actually what led you to this profession and you were saying that um, in church growing up you really wanted to uh, work with fur- faith. Uh, faith, faith people. So tell me about that. Yeah, I think it's just in our, in church. Sometimes I think 
um, not only with pastors, but, you know, even other families in church, like they pretend that because we're Christian, we don't struggle with depression, anxiety, or, um, like with alcohol or drugs Mm -hmm. or, so that's what I want. Potentially, I want to work with churches so that we, there is that dialogue and we don't silence people that are struggling with those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah uh, we just had recently, we had four suicides of mm-hmm. pastoral staff this year alone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one pastor, um, and, and I, for confidentiality reasons, and you may know who they are, but I won't repeat their names, but they did a funeral. Uh, at nine o'clock in the morning and then went home at 10 o'clock at night and committed suicide. And the funeral that they did was for a person who actually had committed suicide. Oh my goodness. So, and then a pastor's wife this year suffering in silence all those years and she took her life. So I, I agree. Like one of my missions, uh, my personal missions, not me talking about like covenant behavior. One of my personal missions is to push back against the stigma of mental health within the faith community mm-hmm. because we are not perfect. Yeah. We are not. I mean, the Bible is very clear about that. We are not perfect. We're working toward perfection. So we are touched. We are here in this earth, in this world where there one in five people have a mental, mental health issue. One in five people. So yeah. trust me, you take about five people <laughs> in, a, in a church, you know, one of them has a mental right. health issue. So like we are going to be touched by that and we've got to push back the stigma. So I appreciate your desire to want to do that and to want to help. Uh, man, we need it. We need it. We do. Um, so what skills uh, do you think are unique um, and that have helped you be, that you think you have? and that make you successful as a mental health provider? I think just listening to, um, like I've always had, and I never really considered it like a gift, but like now I do because not a lot of people listen um, and just letting the person, you know, tell you about their experiences. And then as you're listening, you're also um learning about them in a way that can challenge your own biases and your own assumptions. Um, so I think listening was a big, a big, um, gift that I discovered in myself. I agree with you 100%. Uh, in seminary, we were taught when we did Christian counseling to really consider, um, the basic guiding assumptions of, our patient. And so those basic uh, guiding assumptions, number one for me was that uh, the patient had some God in them, mm. some form of God. They were created in God's image. Uh, God knew them by name. And that number two was that each patient had the answers that they sought within themselves. Mm-hmm. And so as a clinician, my job was to be a very good listener to hear the patient because if you get somebody to talk and I'm a firm believer that they have the answers that they yeah. need already in them. Mm-hmm. You just got to get it out of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I believe the same thing. And just reflect it back to them. So, so I'm hearing you say, you yeah. know, that this is what you want to do. So how are you going to do that? You know, just yeah. reflecting that back. And then you see patients eyes sort of like, 
bright. They're, they're, they're light up and they go, yeah, that's what I need to do. Yeah, people so, don't even realize they're already doing stuff that is helping themselves. And, like, I think it's just the tendency of focus on the negatives instead of the positives. You, um, so you forget, like, you just need someone to kind of help you point point out that you are doing, you know, good things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. So, all right. So uh, let's end here on, get ready to uh, end here on a little lighter note. I got some fun questions for you. So um, what is your favorite word? My favorite word? Yeah. I think dog. Dog? (laughs) (laughs) I love my dog. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Good, good. And what's your dog's name? William. William. Yeah, he's got a person. (laughs) (laughs) He's got personality, huh? (laughs) He he just looked like a William. I don't know. (laughs) All right. And um, what's something that you are not very good at? Um... Sometimes patience. <laughs> yeah, still struggle with that, but you learn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? Um, I think reading people's minds, but I think I would want to return that, like, after, you know. So, just for a little bit. Yeah, just for a little bit, but then I'd probably be like, oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so if you were a type of food, what type of food would you be? Oh, I don't know. I love all food. Uh, I'll say ramen. Ramen sounds really good right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, actually, I'm warm because I'm a warm person. I don't know. I'm just yeah. making them. I don't I was thinking about that question myself, and I, I would describe myself as a bowl of spaghetti, you know, not too fancy, not too, just a bowl of spaghetti. It's a good bowl of pasta. That's Comfort it. Nothing, food. <laughs> nothing too. All right. Well, this concludes our uh, Covenant Behavior Health podcast for this week. I want to thank our guests um, for being here today and for sharing uh, Shanae is a very busy person. She is a master's level clinician at the Loma Linda University. Uh, she's here several days a week. Um, she is one of our um, Christian counselors here. Uh, we only have about three of them here, so we're looking for more Christian counselors to come and be a part of Covenant Behavior Health. We are growing and expanding and in desperate need of people of faith to help people of faith. Um, so I want to thank Sinead for being here, for taking out time from her busy schedule. Again, I want to close out by inviting you once again, November the 1st and 2nd, to our Faith and Mental Health Conference, which is going to be held at 850 South Mount Vernon, Colton Avenue, November the 1st and 2nd. Registration starts at 830. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, our handler uh, is Disrupting Healthcare. Again, that's Disrupting healthcare all one word uh, you can find us on facebook at covenant counseling or covenant behavior help we're located on linkedin and um, we want to invite you to go check out our page share subscribe to our podcast every week we're going to have somebody here who's going to be sharing and talking about topics that you can write in you can request we're more than happy to address those needs again this is dr wilson with covenant behavior help signing off until next time